Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. What did it feel like when I would say I was going to quit drinking? Um, the first few times... I felt excited because I had the hope and, and you know, promise that, that alcohol was the reason. Whether it was because it made me grouchy and uncomfortable and I didn't like it anymore. Um, and I was okay with being like, fine, if that solves the problem and that's why you're doing it and we're not going to have any more problems, then that's great. Um, after relapses... And you would say that I became a little dis- more disheartened, like, okay, whatever. And then I know one of the last times that you were sober for a very long time, and you said that. I said I was I said quit. you were quit drinking, okay. and you were sober for a long time, and you started again. You made the announcement that you were going to quit drinking. Um, that was your final time, but the whole time I was like, whatever. Like, because we had gone through nine months of sobriety, and it didn't really change the relationship. And I was like, why bother? Like, I even remember having a conversation about this. Like, you're still going to be moody. You're still going to be jerky. It's not solving any problems. And I think I figured out that drinking wasn't going to solve problems like 10 years ago because we had built up a lot of problems. But I was like, I know how to navigate our relationship with you drinking. I know what to expect. I know what not to expect. We all have done a great job in our family dealing with you drinking. So why throw us into this tailspin when it's not going to have any good outcome? You know, I just resolved myself that I know how to live this life and why shake it up? Because the last few years of your drinking, there wasn't so many arguments because I had detached and learned to like just silence myself And I think you had become less, maybe with age, but I think it was more with the depression. You had become less argumentative and more, you know, inside yourself. Like you didn't, you weren't vocal. You weren't trying to start problems. You just were sulky and sad. And you really wanted to be by yourself. And mind you, you weren't even drinking a lot at those times. Like, it's not like you were drinking a bottle of vodka, you know, on the the days that you drank. It was just beers, but it, you know, was affecting you, so. Yeah. What about when I would try to get control of my drinking by enacting or amending the rules that I put around my drinking? What was it like for you when I would come to you and say, oh, Sherry, I've decided I'm only going to drink light beer or... I'm only going to drink on the weekends, or I'm not going to well, drink hard alcohol anymore. <coughs> what was me. that like for you? Um, well, I felt like you were trying to control something that was uncontrollable. I only gained that by several years of you trying to control it and the, you know, lived in experience of seeing you, even if you said this was your new rule, you couldn't live to the rule. So I thought you're just trying to contain something you can't contain. So what a fool you are. But then I also thought, what a manipulator you are. Like, 
I, I mean, I remember clearly one of your rules was that you were going to drink, you were not going to drink on nights where you had to get up and go to work the next day. And so you did not work at our bakery on Fridays. I did. But you still had to get up and get the kids. And I was kind of like, well, then why are you drinking on Thursday nights? And you said, well, that's my men's league soccer night. And I don't drink that much. And granted, you didn't really drink that much. I'm sure you drank a few there. And then you came home and drank some. And I don't because I was up and off to the bakery early morning on Friday. Yeah, so you were asleep like. when I got home. Yeah. So I didn't really know what was happening. I but I trusted I you. I and didn't... you weren't a hangover kind of person. One of the things that we've talked about, I, I never lied to you about whether or not I was drinking, but I often lied to you about how much. So if if I told you I didn't drink that much on my soccer nights, I think that would have been a falsehood. Because your, maybe your not much would have been a lot to me still. Well, I would have a few with the guys after the game, and then I'd come home and have a few more. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I didn't drink 18 beers or anything, but... I didn't drink one or two either. Yeah. So I just remember that particular circumstance was you were going to drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because you counted Sunday as a non-drinking day because we had, you had to work and open our bakery on Mondays. So then it slid in, oh, I will drink a couple when I get home in the afternoon while I'm you know, home from church, home from church. And then it was all drink up until dinner time. And then it was all drink. And I was like, you're just manipulating the rules because you're the one that came up with the rule. So you can change the rule. So that's when I started to really question your integrity. And I, what did, what was the word that I used to use all the time? Like, you know, it's good for the asshole. No, (laughs) like that, that I would say it was a, I would just say it wasn't fair. You know, like, I, there was something else that I used to use the term that, like, there were rules for me and things I had to do, but then you could just get away with whatever. Oh. And you really hated that. Um, that there were uh, different rules for you than there were for me. That there were... Yeah, I can't Gosh, do it either. We're, we're recording we're this. <laughs> we, are, just... we are out of words today already, I guess. But I remember you would be like, that is not true. And I'm like... Yeah, it is. Like, if I said, I'm not going to eat chocolate cake, you'd hold me to not eating chocolate cake. But I would say, well, I'm going to add chocolate cake on Friday night. So you'd be like, you said no chocolate cake. You were great at having everybody else follow rules down to the the kids had sets of rules. Every rule had to be the same. So then I thought, what a prick. He's manipulating and controlling. And that's, you know, the, the scenario here because it's his rule. And then I started to believe that you were a manipulator, that you were a control freak. You had to be in charge and you had to be right. So there were a, that that sort of, you know, the rules like led me to have a lot of really distasteful um, characteristics about you that aren't necessarily true. That was the drinker mat, the alcohol mat, not the real mat. It's very interesting to hear you talk about this because for me... At the time, the rules were all about me. They were never about you. I really wasn't trying to manipulate you. I was trying to get control of something that for me was uncontrollable. So if I changed from one rule to another, it was because I was trying to hold it all together and not, you know, not be an alcoholic, not not be out of control. And so it never even occurred to me that I was manipulating you. But so it's very interesting to hear that that's 
that's what it felt like on your side. I, I mean, I totally believe you. It, I mean, it, it is a manipulation, whether it feels like it or whether that was the intent or not from my side. It is a manipulation, mm-hmm. so that's really interesting to hear you yeah. talk about it. And I felt like you were totally disrespectful to me when you would say, these are my rules, but I'm going to see if I can pull the wool over her eyes. So then I got to the point was, I don't fucking care what your rules are. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me, because you're just going to break them. Yeah. So I don't want to hear it, because then I'll look at you and I'll question you, and then you'll get defensive, and then it'll be an argument. So if I don't know what you're doing... Then I can't have any, then you can't have any accountability. I didn't know that word necessarily at the time of using it in that frame of mind. But I was like, then I don't have to, I don't have to be disappointed when you break the rule. And I don't have to bring it up to you to say you broke the rule. Yeah. Because we had a rule of absolutely zero tolerance of whoever was driving home from an event had to have zero alcohol in their system. And then, then it was like, oh, Matt can have two beers. And then I'm like, well, I can have a glass of wine, can't I? And you're like, no, no way. You can't, you know. But you, then you you're became... You're more of a lightweight. Yeah, but then it became more and more <laughs> alcohol that you felt like you could consume and still safe, safely drive. Yeah, that wasn't good. No. There's no justification for that. That was just bad. Bad choices. Common. That's what alcohol makes you do. Yeah, common because Part you, of most people's story, but not know, good, not justifiable. You know, maybe six beers at a barbecue where you were like, I was eating food and I also had some water and, you know, we were there for four hours. That's, you know, maybe you're like, well, that's not much. But when you're drinking double IPAs, six of those are a lot. I think six of anything <laughs> is too much to be driving. Over. Yeah. But you try to convince yeah. me that, you know, everybody's different. I can handle it better. Yeah. God, what an ass. Okay, what about the anticipation of going to a party? Let's say there's a neighborhood barbecue or, you know, friends at church or whatever. We just, we got invited somewhere. And I know for me, I would be like giddy like a school child. Like, Christmas morning, it's going to be a big cooler of beer. But what was it like for you anticipating going to a social event? Well, I guess I would look at it like, that was very thoughtful that we were included and invited because I would always worry, like, would his drunken behavior be noticed? Would people notice how much he had consumed last time? Or that I looked very unnerved at the end of the day or at the end of the party because we were some of the last people there? Or would we be invited back because oftentimes we were the last people there, even with our children? We, you had to be there till the bitter end. Um, you know, to clean up. So I guess I would be happy that we were still included. Um, and then the realization would sink in was like, Oh God, we got to talk about designated driver. We got to talk about timing. We got to talk about what day of the week it is or not, you know, weekend. Cause we have commitments on some of those days and you were pretty lucky. You didn't get hangovers very often. So I just thought, Oh man, then we're going to stay up late. And the kids are going to be grouchy. I'm going to be grouchy. I just hated it. So sometimes if I would get the invitation, I never even let you know. Like there was an annual Halloween party that had gone on for five years or seven. You know, it had gone on for a long time. And I know I kept it secret from you because I was like, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not dealing with that. Because it was an adults only costume party that was going to have lots of fancy cocktails. And, you know, it wasn't just going to be beer in a cooler. 
and beer and wine party. So, were you worried that when we got home, I would drink more and cause an argument? Was that part of the yeah process for party prep for you? Well, I knew that you were pre-partying, so you would have already had some liquor in your system before you got there. So you'd be engaging and open up, and you know, be um, relaxed before you went and then you'd have those there and then you would come home and want to have more and there would be an argument about ooh you know the kids are all asleep which I did pretty much all myself putting them making sure they were to bed or um when they were younger or paying the babysitter or god forbid having to text the babysitter and beg them to stay longer because Mm. we especially when they were younger um kids that babysat I was like god You know, but when we had adults, you would be like, oh, they're an adult. They are driving themselves. They don't have time constrictions. And I was like, well, they have lives too. And we told them that we'd be home at a certain time. So that was hard. Or when it was our daughter and she was old enough to stay with the, her brothers, she would be worried. And I would try to express that and you just didn't seem to care. So that was, and that just started the anger and the resentment and the frustration in me. So then I would be snippy. And I would be very short and cruel to, you know, to you on our way home or leaving the party. And then you would want to drink more and, you know, there would be like, let's do up and watch this or let's get romantic. And I'm like, no, fuck you. We're going to bed. It's, you know, it's one thirty. So I just hated all of that. Speaking of the kids, I was always, when I was st- still drinking, and well into my early sobriety, I was of the mind that we did a good job of hiding the chaos and the turmoil from the kids. You were much more realistic. You you knew that there was tension just kind of hanging in the air a lot of the times. You knew that the kids were really intuitive and they picked up on things that I wasn't picking up on. So what was it like for you when... You know, we we would have a situation where I would go overboard and then you and I would argue about it and you knew that that tension hung in the air. What was it like? How did that feel for you knowing that that was impacting the kids? Um, well, I'm ashamed to say that. You know, as the kids got older and the drinking was worse, I had to start informing them in ability that they could understand. Like, and I feel bad that, like, I would talk to my daughter, not like in a way I would talk to a friend, but I would say, well, your dad drank too much last night. We got into an argument and I know that she could hear. And then there was grumpiness you know, the next day. And I would feel like shit depending on how much I said or didn't say. And I'm ashamed to say that a lot of the times when we were, like, licking our wounds and you had gone off to work at the bakery because it was Saturday morning and we had gotten into an argument Friday night or maybe it was, like, one day through the week and there'd be, like, they were on summer break or winter break or something. I would, like, let them watch TV all day to, you know, like, movies or whatever because I just needed, like, space. So not only were you not being a good parent, I was also not being a good parent because I just needed to work through my feelings. And I knew that I would be snippy 
to them, and that made me even more mad at you because I thought you are ruining my good stuff. I hadn't learned to not let those things because they're hard to let them just roll off and then just, you know, or I would try to fake it or I would try to overcompensate. Um, like let's go to the movies and let's go for pizza. And so I would try to like compensate with like food and entertainment. So then it was like, I was trying to make them forget anything that they felt or heard from the argument or the tension that day. Or sometimes, like, you would drink in the morning that next day. If there was a late night, you would sleep in. You wouldn't be the breakfast dad on the weekends. You would sleep in. And so, and then you could maybe start drinking or you would be hung, you know, grouchy to them. And so we would exit. So it made me feel like shit that home was not safe and happy. I know it's really hard to talk about, and I'm sorry to ask that question, but I I just don't think... I mean, I think it is so important. It's so important for people to recognize that it's not just the screaming and yelling and the, the fighting in front of the kids that's a problem. <laughs> It's the tension that just hangs in the house. Sorry. Oh. It's okay. It's yeah. it's the... You know, and it's not just me, the alcoholic, and my behavior that impacts the kids. It's... This is so important. It's your behavior, too. And I'm not saying that to lay any blame on you. I, I lay no blame on you for this at all. But you can't help but have the reaction that you're having to the chaotic traumatic alcoholic situation and even if you're not saying anything out loud to the kids you're walking I mean again tension is the word there's just just hangs in the air around the house oozing out of me and oozing out of you and having a negative impact on the kids and you know so to anyone who is in that situation we just hope and pray you give yourself a ton of grace because it's not your fault you're doing the best you can. And I know, Sherry, you were doing, when you were overcompensating, when you were sulking, any anything you were doing, when you were confiding in Catherine and telling her some of the details, it was all done in an effort to protect them, to protect yourself, and just to do the best you could in a really awful, terrible situation. Well, and I think, too, it, it wasn't a good example. <clears throat> like, there would be times when you weren't drinking, and we would be discussing a topic where there was different points of view. We couldn't even have a civil sort of adult conversation about things because it turned heated or the ignoring and the silence between us and you and I like being in different rooms. Like the kids pick up on all that. Whether you think we don't, we don't argue because we don't talk about any of this stuff. Kids pick up on that and then yeah. that's going to affect their relationships when they're adults and it's going to continue the cycle. I didn't grow up having my mother in a healthy relationship um, because my father and she divorced when I was two so I didn't know how to respond and react to a lot of like marital life and so I think it just it just kind of still perpetuates even if their future spouse isn't an alcoholic there's still no communication skills there's no resolution skills 
those sort of things. And because I, we were on so on edge, and we were, I was so angry with you that there couldn't even be a disagreement. And so I just started acting like I believed everything that you believed. And I just did what, whatever you want to do. And even the kids hate it now. Or I mean, I should say it's gotten better. But over the last couple of years when I'd be like, why don't you go ask your dad? Our daughter would say, why can't you be allowed to make an, have a decision about it? Or go ask your dad because I didn't want to. Maybe, maybe it was just a situation where I didn't want to be the one that made the decision whether or not they could go out of town for the weekend with their friend's parents. Yeah, those teenagers so, ask difficult questions. So it's I don't kind blame of you for, shit, for shitty of me. Oh, I hated that when, <laughs> when they would come and ask me. And I'd be like, oh, she just didn't want to make the call. And yeah, and I just didn't want, or I didn't want to be the heavy, you know, or, or I didn't want to think about all of that. And, but her reaction was from the times when you didn't make a decision because you didn't want to upset me. Yes. And so I think that, especially the two older ones, kind of felt that more than the others because they had seen me, you know, not express opinions um, when you were drinking. Yeah. Because they were, you know, obviously they were older and they have more memories. So I would just send it your way because I didn't want to upset you. And I... So. What about days when I was drinking? Like, let's say it's a Saturday and I'm doing yard work. And I'm drinking beer while I'm doing yard work. And I know there were days where I would maybe drink more than normal. Did you have, what was the feeling like when you'd be like, oh, I don't know which way this is going to go? Because, I mean, certainly there were lots of days. One of the things about being a high-functioning alcoholic is I didn't just get trashed every, every day, every moment, every weekend. So there had to be days where you're like, oh, maybe it's just going to be a normal relatively pleasant weekend and then you'd start to get signs i don't know why but he's drinking more what was that feeling like for you when you sensed i don't know which way this is gonna go well it's nerve-wracking like you have to like in your head you know kind of analyze every scenario and you have to like stop and analyze everything you're saying that, you know, and everything Matt would be saying to me, I'd be like, okay, what what's really behind this? What does he really mean? Um, yeah. Did you just, try to influence? Did I know there were times where you would say, I think you need to slow down. Oh, yeah. You didn't say that a lot, though. but Because, but yeah, I got a lot of backlash. Like, what do you mean? I, you know, I'm doing what I normally do. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it was dismissed, so I didn't say it often, but... Yeah, I don't, this one I don't really know. I guess just, that's when I would be like, whatever you want to do or, you know, because I'm sure. But did you, did you lose hope for whatever you had hoped that evening would be? Like, would you just kind of write it off in your head? I hated weekends. Yeah, that's a good point. And that always confused me because I loved weekends so much. Yeah, I hate it because, yeah, because look at the shoes we're standing in. Yeah. You're the drinker. You loved it. I hated it because I didn't know what was going to, what was going to happen. You know, so I really hated it. So I either tried to like say, oh, I want to have a good night tonight and start talking about like, because we did a lot of family movie nights and um, then I could always tell when you were like, "Eh, I don't want to, you know, watch it because you wanted to sit upstairs and watch something instead of the family room downstairs. I was like, oh, that's 
because he wants to just drink more and be by himself and be moody. And I would also do a lot of, I don't know, what do you want to watch? What do you think we should watch? Um, just kind of defer not to, to you. the apple cart. Yeah. Yeah. And then just be like, hold on until ugh, Monday, Monday night after a day of work. Because you could just tell. And I know that probably I could give off a vibe in a sense like I was felt defeated on that weekend and that it was going to be a shitty weekend. So I would kind of have a negative attitude. And I think you could sense that. So then there would be a lot of, why are you in a bad mood? You would say to me, or, well, I knew you were going to poo-poo this, or yeah. sort of things like, oh, you never like anything I like that you would say to me. Because I was negative. We talked about the anticipation of going to a party. I want to go a little deeper with that. What about the anticipation of going on vacation, which is basically a seven-day party for me, or was a seven-day party for me. I mean, I would be over the moon excited about, you know, I've got my work done, my work work done, not my family or homework done, but my work work done, and so now it is just party time. Let's, let's get ready to go. And your reaction or your anticipation, I think, was the exact opposite of that. What was it like for you when we were preparing to go on vacation? Well, I think you just kind of summed it up. You did like whatever um, work that needed to be done in our business and kind of closing up that work week and then you would start drinking as soon as you got home from that because it was vacation. You would always, like even you would come in and be like, it's vacation time! And I'm like, oh, fuck, it's vacation time. I'd rather just stay at home. Because if we were at home, you drank on the weekends. I mean, and that was your deal for a long time. So I'm like, I didn't have to worry about you drinking. And I mean, it depended a little bit on where we were going. Now, let's just let our listeners know we did not take a lot of vacations. And most of our vacations were all just because we owned a business to our family. So then the they could see cousins and grandparents and aunts and uncles. The kids could. And so we. Southern Indiana so, to see. Your side of the family and South Carolina to see my side of the right. family. Right. And so at least I knew when we would be driving to, we would drive to Indiana. We did that for a long time just because of the number of people we had and that we could do that and have a car because we went to the Indianapolis 500. So of course you didn't drink when you were driving out there, but I remember we did stop earlier um, to spend the night so the kids could play in the swimming pool at the hotel, but also so you could drink mm -hmm. um you know that night and uh you know lots of arguments about packing the car for that because you would you were worried you wouldn't get your favorite kind of beers at the liquor stores there and so like you know there would be like a whole fucking cooler full sorry i am just a foul mouth this morning whole cooler full of your beers you bought it all here instead of buying it there, which I was like, I don't even understand that. It's not like there aren't, a, there isn't a liquor store, even in my small hometown. You know, I, I can explain that. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Well, I have a very distinct memory. As much as I was oblivious to what was going on around me, I have a memory of one time we drove to Indiana and we started in Terre Haute. We stopped, pardon me, in Terre Haute, which is probably a little less than an hour from your mom's house. 
and we, this was a time when we didn't bring beer out there with us. And you know, we were the race was the Indy 500 was two days away, and I was all in that mode of getting ready for the race. And when we stopped in Terre Haute, I loaded up at a liquor store there, and it was 104 degrees, and the kids were little, and they sat in the car just sweltering and melting while I was picking out different beers, and I also bought hard alcohol for the the night before party, and I, I don't remember why, but there was a lot of variety to my shopping. So I was in the liquor store for, I was probably in there for half an hour, and I came out, and the kids were sweaty and just... They just looked so sad. They'd already driven 16 hours across country. And then before we can go see our grandmother, we got to make a 45-minute stop at the liquor store. And so I do remember that 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 made me feel terrible, made me feel pathetic, and made me feel bad for the kids. And so the the next year, I did exactly as you said. I, 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 I took the whole, all the flat surfaces in the back of the vehicle that we would use to put luggage in, and I put a layer of beer cans because you had no below. glass. But yeah, no glass. But we you couldn't take it well, into in the Colorado. You can get high end beers yeah. in cans. Yeah. And I wanted my Colorado <sighs> beer, but so it was. I think that was the justification I used. I don't want to get out there and and have to settle for Bud Light. I want to buy the beer I want. I think that's what I said, and there was some truth to that. But the memory of the kids. But the memory of because you the kids weren't drinking, through. and you do care about your children immensely, so. Yeah, that well, it was just fairly shameful to come out of the liquor store with a cart overflowing with booze and seeing the kids melting in the car. And I was in there terrible. with the kids, and we were like, you know, that didn't bother me as much. Yeah, but I'm I meant like honest. you weren't sitting. We we weren't in there together. They weren't alone. No, no. But no, yeah, no. yeah. I do vaguely remember that, and I think that we were like, okay, we should like get popsicles or Gatorade or something at the. I think we went to the gas station across the way and. Like, got them, like, Gatorades or something as a treat to kind of compensate for, look, Dad's in the liquor store for so long. There wasn't much that would happen in our lives where our outward, uh, not opinions, our outward emotions and our just the vibe we gave off diverged quite as much as preparing for vacation. Yeah. Because I was so over the moon excited to have a week off of work where I could drink more than normal. And you were stressed and anticipating bad things and it would make me so frustrated why why aren't you excited sherry we're going on vacation well but your your job before we went on vacation was you would get the yard done okay well that's something you did every saturday and, and work, you drank work stuff the bakery stuff yeah so you got all that done yeah and you were usually done with that at a decent time or you know if it was a bad week or we were leaving in an odd day um Maybe you were mowing, finishing mowing the yard and stuff, you know, at seven thirty, eight o'clock. And then I packed my toothbrush and my five pairs of underwear yeah. and my five t-shirts you and I was done there. And you, you had five people to pack for. Yeah. And, you know, snacks for the car or snacks for the plane and thinking about breakfast the next morning because we were leaving early or, you know, packing sandwiches because, you know, we're not fast food eaters and we tried that a couple times and it was just miserable. Nobody was really happy with what we ate and... So we, you know, had a lot that I needed to do and I found it stressful. Also on the anticipation of, oh, we're going on vacation and he's going to act like an asshole at at least three times, either to me or in front of our family. 
And then I'm going to get questions and I'm going to be feeling judged. That's a interesting component of that. I never, I think I can say never definitively got questions. There were so many times when we would be with our family on an evening and I would wake up the next morning in a panic knowing that I had overdrank. There would be blackout pieces of the night. There were things that I couldn't remember but I would know that I drank too much. And then I can remember I would come down to breakfast the next day just anticipating someone's going to say something to me. Someone's gonna, I'm going to get called out. And no one ever did. Never. But all that time, people would say things to you. Family I mean, mostly from my side of the family. But there were a few times where your side of the family questioned. And this and was even what, after... Does he always drink like that? Does he that, was like- one of, that was exactly the question. Does he drink like this all the time? Or does he drink like this at home? And this was after there was calls of, you know, of requesting help from, to your parents. Like your mom asked me that. And then I said, yes, yes, he does. That's why I've reached out. But no support, no follow through, nothing. So I'm like, yeah, I just, I've called you. I've talked to you about his drinking. You're asking me, you see it. And then nothing. So... I'm feeling like I'm in a house full of people who don't care. But it's not they don't care. They don't know what to do. They just didn't know what to do, yeah. And I felt very alone. And because I couldn't relax. Like, it made me nervous when I was not going to the Indianapolis 500, perhaps because of having someone who was too young or staying with my family or... um, you know, I would be nervous of, and I remember telling our friends that were the females of our group that went. It was like, watch out for Nick and Joey because Matt's going to be drunk. Please take care of them. I remember that was one of my my requests before I left because for a while our daughter didn't want to go. And, um, the, and Andrew was too young. So I went up and I had the picnic and then I drove an hour and a half to my mom's house from our friend's house. And I remember like saying, please watch out for them because you were so drunk that night when I left. And I was like, please make sure they brush their teeth. Because I thought you're their dad and you're supposed to be watching out, but you don't care. You're going to be too self-absorbed. And then also like that was a part about the Indianapolis 500 when I started going and rejoining the event because I had like checked out for a while you guys had this system, and I felt like I was an interloper if I tried to suggest anything. Like, can we pack this? Nope, this is how we do it. You know, I couldn't I couldn't be a part of it. Well, I definitely remember when you would try to... This is before kids. I remember early on when you would try to get bottled water into the beer cooler, and I'd say, there's no room for... You can just carry water in your backpack, and it can be warm. There's no room for... Yeah. Water in the beer cooler. But yeah, very dismissive. Yeah. For sure. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about sobriety, specifically early sobriety. I want to get your reaction to how it made you feel when I would get excited about something that I had read. (coughs) I had read about, um, you know, the neurological impact of addiction, how our neurotransmitters worked or about recovery nutrition or just the memoirs that I would read. I'd read 
a book by an alcoholic who had gone before me and, and gotten sober, and I'd want to bring it to you and explain it. What was that like for you? I think that you started doing some reading before you had your final um, final attempt at sobriety. Like for sure, you had started reading, and at the end, I think that had been one of your six month sobriety points. So, I think maybe in the very <clears throat> excuse me that first time you would start to bring things to me, I would be fairly interested. But then you started drinking again, but. And I could also see that things weren't changing because we hadn't learned that it takes a longer time to heal. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, my you got your running. juices flowing. Yeah. yeah. So I think that I was a little interested, but then I quickly became uninterested when I wasn't seeing like changes. And then you went back to drinking. So this last time, I was like, you just do it. I, I don't care. I don't want to know. Also, I thought, why am I going to listen to you? Because there is a perspective and an interpretation on what someone is saying. I mean, you could be reading a book on brain chemistry, but your interpretation and then your reiteration of it to me could be slightly different. So I wasn't going to trust you considering I had felt manipulated and Mm -hmm. connived by your rules. So I was very much like, well, I'll read that when I get a chance because I wasn't going to take it from the horse's mouth. Um and by that the time, horse's I, ass's mouth. <laughs> the horse's ass's mouth. But also, I was very like detached, and I just didn't care. I was like, "Listen, I've I told you, I learned how to live sadly with an alcoholic, and and this is gonna be for you because I'm I'm done. So I didn't want to hear or share, and you would get because I always felt like you wanted to pinpoint something that could like be the reason that you drank, but really, it's a lot of things that were there. So it wasn't just like that you had depression that ran in your family so you were depressed. It wasn't because you know, I bought cereal and you ate grape nuts, you know. That wasn't the reason, but I felt like you always wanted to have a pinpoint Well, I mean, solution. I I think that's natural to when there's something ailing you, you want yeah. to figure out why you want to solve the the puzzle. What's really interesting about this for me is at the time I would get so upset because you weren't interested in what I wanted to share with you. Oh, I just read this thing. Let me tell you about it. And I could, you were disconnected. You were detached. And I would, that would really frustrate me. And I'd feel like, God, she doesn't care about me at all. Now looking back, like, it's almost like I'm witnessing it as an outside observer because there's, there's so much distance time-wise I totally understand, you know, here's the same guy that read this book two years ago and told me all the great Mm -hmm. things from it. And then he started drinking again. And now he's reading the same damn book and telling me the same stuff. Why would I care to hear any of that? Right. I mean, it it makes me sound like and feel like a crazy person that your enthusiasm or your lack of enthusiasm for what I was learning bothered me. Why on earth would you get enthusiastic? Ten years I... Tried to get sober and relapsed. Mm-hmm. You know, you run out of excitement for someone yeah. who's doing that. You run you out like, of a lot of cares. Like rooting for the <laughs> rooting for the Cleveland Browns all those years. I mean, you got to run out of steam eventually, yeah. don't you? Yeah. What about the fact that in sobriety, t- 
to an extent, I still blamed you for your part in things. So I would say, yes, I'm an alcoholic. Yes, I've got to stop drinking. But you have a temper. But you have a temper. or You have a mouth. Or your relationship with alcohol screwed up too. Yeah. What would that make you feel like? Well, it because I have a temper, <laughs> I would get pissed. <laughs> I mean, what else? Like, I would be like, okay, you know, looking back, I'm like, well, of course, because alcohol ruined me. Alcohol changed who I was. So I wasn't happy about that. I felt guilty about the mistakes that I made. So I didn't want to be called out and blamed for anything, but I felt like all I was trying to do was hold it together. So I would get really pissed, and I would think, oh my god, you have no idea the stuff that you did. I could tell you, but you really weren't there to observe all the faces of the kids or, you know, what was really going on. Because you weren't feeling the feelings. So I was, I had not quite accepted how much alcohol had changed me. I just knew that I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. But I knew that I, I didn't deserve the blame and I didn't know how to explain that. Because I was changed by alcohol. Absolutely. What about when... Early on, I thought that sobriety would fix everything. I knew we had all kinds of relationship problems. We just couldn't get along. Our communication was terrible. We argued quite often. And when I would reluctantly agree to get sober and and admit that I was an alcoholic, I was convinced that sobriety would fix everything. We both know that's not the truth now. Sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite, we say all the time. But you knew that far sooner than I did. You knew that the sobriety, that there were deeper problems. Sobriety wasn't going to fix it. What was it like for you to be around me saying, I'll quit drinking and everything's going to be fine, Sherry? Um, I felt like you were just trying to control a situation that wasn't controllable. That's it. So rather than, you didn't think I was naive, you thought I was manipulative. Um, well, I feel like you were a little naive or a little stupid to believe that. Um, but I, and, but I also felt like you were trying to control the situation because I had mentioned this. Like it was, I remember the first time I said that was when we had gone away for my birthday and it was my 40th birthday. And I said, we have so much, so many more problems. You don't even, I don't even know where to begin. And you're like, what do you mean? You know, because we had gotten an argument and there was drinking involved. Because, you know, the resentments, the anger, the frustration, the disappointment, the manipulation, the controlling, the dismissiveness, you know, and then dealing with intimacy. Like, I didn't even realize all that we were going to uncover. But I felt, again, that you were trying to manipulate and control the situation and dismiss me when I'm like, I said that several years ago because I knew how I felt about you. I didn't know how you felt about me in a lot of ways. I, I, well, I guess I should say I had an opinion of how you felt about me and it wasn't a very good opinion and it wasn't a very, um, equitable relationship. Like I felt like you were just thought I was stupid. I had a lot of negative self-talk about how I thought you felt about me. Um, So I felt like it was one of those situations where you're like, I'll quit drinking and everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. It it was 
it was a little bit of being naive, but it was also just like, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to control this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to not drink and it's going to be okay. Felt like you wanted to have that control on it. That's really interesting. I always knew that you thought I was naive and maybe a little bit stupid, but I didn't realize that you thought that that was a control thing that and manipulative. That's really interesting. But it also wasn't like a, to control me. It was to control you, too. Yeah. Like, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. No more alcohol, and we're going to be great. Yeah. You know? No, good point. Didn't work out that way. I mean, we are great now, but... It wasn't just because of the sobriety. Okay, this one will fire you up. Have I not been fired up enough? So, when I was searching for, you know, okay, I'm sober now, but gosh, <coughs> things still aren't great. I still feel awful. Our relationship's still struggling. And I would search for other things to blame and that we needed to fix in our lives. Like, for instance... I know you've talked about this one before. I would say, we got to get this processed food out of the house. God, you just, I wish this was TV instead of radio and people could see how you just rolled your eyes. How did that make you feel when I would blame the processed food for all of our I think the reason it sticks in my craw so much is because it was after a time where I had overdrank. I had let my guard down and I overdrank. And we got into an argument because I don't think that you liked me being out of control. And so there was an argument that ensued, and I was just not going to, like, be quiet that night and deal with it. So I think that's why, because we sat on the front porch, which I hated when we had talks on the front porch, and you start saying, well, I've been thinking about all this stuff, and then you said the processed food. Now, I went to cooking school. We owned a bakery that made things from a lot of fresh, basic we didn't start... Pure ingredients. We didn't even start with flour. We started with wheat and ground it up yes. ourselves. So, therefore, that already put me on edge. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I cook a lot of things from scratch. Right. I don't buy a lot of... At that time, too, I was like, I don't buy a lot of processed foods. I don't, like, open up a frozen bag of stuff that has the sauce in it already. Now, I'm not saying that I was above that. But I had more time because I didn't work at the bakery that much and I didn't have any other jobs. And you enjoyed cooking. And I enjoyed cooking. So I really took offense to it because I thought, you're taking something that I pride myself in and flushing it down the toilet like I don't pay any attention. So therefore that meant you didn't pay any attention and you didn't respect all that I put into it. And like you were like, can't you make your own pasta? Oh my God, it has three ingredients in it. Durham, wheat, water, maybe that's it. Maybe what kind of an asshole like, what kind of, Exactly, what kind of asshole says that? Can't you just make your own tomato sauce? God, do you even know how expensive tomatoes are? Do you even know the work? Because I know, because I grew up in a family that had gardens, so I know how to can, but why reinvent the wheel when canned tomatoes are fine? And I almost wanted to go get a can of tomatoes and throw it in your fucking face and say, look, it's water and salt and tomatoes. It's nothing else. I didn't even buy the ones with sugar. So I think, as you can see, I'm a little fired up because I felt so dismissed. Like you were just poo-pooing what I work really hard at. Nutritionally balanced meals. 
Because I did buy into the fact that nutrition is the is a cornerstone of good health. I wanted to instill eating habits that were healthy and good for our kids. I never ate a bunch of Doritos growing up. My I did. And you did. And I was like, oh my God. Like we had like popcorn or plain chips. You know, I my mom at the time when we were growing up, junk food was more expensive. The sugary cereals were more expensive. Mm. So we had shredded wheat and cornflakes and like rice krispies with marshmallows was about as extreme as we got in my house with growing up and I was like, now it's the opposite. Like processed foods are cheaper and sugary junk food is cheaper in a lot of ways. At the risk of elevating you even further. <laughs> so you took offense to me blaming processed foods for our problems. And I understand that you've explained that super well. But you also felt like I was... It was almost a distraction technique, yeah. right? Like you're, yeah. you're trying to blame something that's not even related to yeah. the problem. With yeah. Other. And then I just thought, God, he's just grasping at straws. Yeah. Like you're just trying to pull anything out to keep you from understanding that alcohol is the core. And we have got to dig ourselves out of this very deep hole. That alcohol has put this wedge between us. As we got further along in my sobriety, we reached a point where everything was super just somber and heavy. There was nothing light. There was no joy, really, in the relationship. I was working really hard on my sobriety. You were hanging on to see what was going to happen. And it was, you know, I moped around a lot. I shared things I read, for sure. I was trying, I was making progress, but my neurotransmitters, the pleasure neurotransmitters weren't firing yet and I couldn't find joy in much of anything. What was that like for you when I would just kind of mope around and everything was heavy? It was hard because you were a big bummer. I mean, our kids were going to be launching soon. They were growing up really fast and you were missing out. You'd missed out on so much. I didn't want you to miss out on this because you were a sourpuss. And I thought, look at all the times I had to pretend to be joyful. Look at all the times I had to go and do stuff because it was something you wanted to do that you were going to do with alcohol that would revolve around alcohol and your drinking. And I had to be there and be game for it. And if I wasn't, then there was tension and it was uncomfortable and then there would be a fight. So I thought you and you had not understood that it that there was life without alcohol and that you were more than the alcohol with your identity. I met you in college. Yes, we were drinking, but you weren't an alcoholic then. There were times that we did have conversations and had fun where there was no alcohol involved. So I thought, you know, there could still be fun without alcohol. You have a great sense of humor. And I was just tired of seeing you be so sad and so bummed and so defeated. And everything had to be a serious conversation because we had just grown accustomed to either working on problems or rehashing an argument to assign blame or, you know, we just didn't have any, there was nothing light. Yeah. And so it was very hard to, I just felt like the house was shadowed in darkness and I was tired of that. I thought, I don't, this isn't how I want to live my life. 
I want to. I want Matt to be funny and witty. I want us to go and have fun. I want you to enjoy things. Yeah. But I. I knew that I would be taking you know a big chance by saying that, and I'm glad that you were game. I don't know what would have happened if you're like, I just can't get that way. I don't know well, how I would have reacted or what I would have done. There was definitely a fake it till you make it period where I still didn't feel good, but I respected what you were saying. And it made sense. It made sense. We just walk around carrying the weight of the world on both of our shoulders all the time. And that's no way to live. So I at least had made enough progress that I was able to, on a conscious level, understand and agree with what you were saying. Yeah. Getting to the point where I legitimately was enjoying life, that was further down the road. But at least at least I could on some occasions try. What was it like when you started to think that maybe I was going to make it? After all the failed attempts at sobriety, was there a moment when you started to think maybe this permanent sobriety is going to stick? Or if there wasn't a moment, just could you can you kind of describe because you had to make a transition too from thinking this guy's never going to get sober, he keeps trying and failing, he's a loser, to starting to think that maybe it was going to work. What was that like for you? Well, I think because you had this huge, um, this huge. Uh, you You're made talking a, about my really huge <laughs> thing. <laughs> like you made a really like spectacular announcement that I was like, wow, he's putting out there to his contacts that he has been sober and it had almost, I know it was a year after, but I was like, well, there's no turning back now because everybody that knows you and knows me now knows that you are done drinking. And so I felt like, well, that's a lot of pressure on him, but I also felt like, that's a lot of accountability, and I've got the world backing me up. So I felt very good about that. Like relief kind of Kind game? of relief. Like, you can't screw it up now, because if you screw it up, then I'm going to be okay. Like, I stuck it out, and, and he made this big announcement, and he failed again. I can, I'm going to do you, like, I can wipe my hands of you. You've, you've disappointed all of us the last time, Matt, if you started drinking. So I kind of felt like I had that kind of hanging over your head. And maybe that wasn't the best way to put it. Um, I think it's great. I, but I felt like I had the world's support. I mean, at least our little world's support. This is another thing. What what a great podcast for me. This is another thing that I've never, I never considered it from that perspective. I I knew that telling everyone that I knew that I was an alcoholic and that I was a year sober created a ton of accountability for me that's pretty obvious right but it never occurred to me that that was if I had failed if I had relapsed that was the that was a clear out for you mm-hmm. and I hate that I had that oh, makes but then I felt sense. like because there were so many people that came to us and was like I didn't know you're an alcoholic and you liked your alcohol and but then I'd be like yeah well you know this was so many attempts and you know, 11 years or 10 years into it. So yeah, I've, I've put in the work. I've done everything I can, or I felt like I had done everything I can. Um, so it kind of, like you said, gave me an out 
question. I can't remember the question now. Sorry. Well, just what was it like when when you started to think that I was going to make it? And oh, I think... and then and then I felt like as by that time there had been a year, and you were still you know still dealing with feelings, and I felt like he's going to make it, and now it's let's see if the marriage can make it through all the stuff. We had already tried at some point to do these resentment conversations. They were kind of weekly check-in conversations. and But ours then were going to be really in-depth. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you were going to handle a lot of my really deep feelings. That maybe I only shared with you when you were too drunk to know when I was screaming them at you. So I didn't know how you were going to handle that. So I guess I was nervous. Like if we could make it through... That hard part of the marriage recovery. That leads right into my next question. Were you still cautious about talking to me in sobriety? Well, I know you were still cautious about talking to me when I was sober because you didn't know what reaction you were going to get. What was that like to be like, oh... My husband's sober. I mean, you must have had a realization at some point. Oh, my husband's sober, but I'm still walking on eggshells. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, because, I mean, there hadn't been consistency. I, you know, there hadn't been... We we never really had a great relationship on how to... Or at least I didn't, how to disagree in a mature way um, or or approach a subject. And I do feel like... There was a lot of times where you would say, if you would only come to me and say, honey, X, Y, and Z, and start out nice, instead of being all a fluster. So I felt like I had a lot of work of my own to do. But then also I thought, but why can't you accept me for me? So I was wondering how much of me you were going to tolerate, and how much of you I was going to really tolerate. Like, the real you. Or, you know... Did I even really like you? Did I even really like us? Do I think that we're a good team? And there was a lot of just um, evaluating the relationship and how much, and just and breaking apart what was alcoholism, what was behavior from alcohol, what's truly him now, because it had been such a long time since I felt like I really knew you. I mean, I knew some of your core values, but how much did you, how much was I going to like you on a day-to-day basis? How was I going to approach you about things? Because there had been, you know, varying reactions to things. Was I going to be able to converse with you? One of the really diabolical things about alcohol is that it shielded me from really getting to know you and getting to know, I don't know if I want to use the word challenges, the the things that you battled. For instance, you have you know tend to very super common human trait. You tend to push things down, push things down until they bubble up and kind of explode. And I would take such great offense to that when like like you said, I would say, you know, if you'd come to me and be like, Honey, sweetheart, here's the thing I want to talk to you about instead of you know, you would hold it in for as long as you can and then mm-hmm. kind of kind of explode when I went from viewing that as God what a mean person Sherry is to viewing it as that's got to suck that 
and, and having compassion because you're you're trying to control it, you're pushing it down, pushing it down, and then it explodes and viewing that as a challenge that you face and something that you are battling, oh, it was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. And I know, and this conversation really isn't about me, but when I would start to deal with your explosions in a more reasonable way, did that, it must have just slowly over time, you started to expect me to deal with your your quirks, you know, yeah. your, your communication differently. Yeah. Did I mean, did that... Did it improve things for you to know, God, Matt's not going to yeah, look back? Yeah, and then I think, too, it made it easier for me to approach something before it became um, so explosive or so So much. you wouldn't feel compelled to push it down. So I wasn't pushing it down. Now, I still am the great, like, if we're, why upset the apple cart, you know? It's yeah. not a big deal right now. Yeah. I'm not going to deal with this now. But I can approach you sooner before things did explode. And, or I could say things to you now and I'm not as worried about how the reaction is going to be in that moment or later on after 10 beers yeah, to get thrown back up in my face or used against me. Well, I think this is such an important point that you are able to bring things up before you've pushed them down for too long and they're going to explode. But it's, it's, there's give and take. It's very non-linear. I've got to, and messy, I've got to react well a time or two and you've got to expect me to react well and then the communication can get better slowly but we backslide I fly off the handle a little bit you fly off the handle and then we have to kind of rebuild the confidence in each other to communicate better so that apprehension that you had about you know what's how can I talk to my husband and have that go smoothly it's legitimate. It's normal. Well, and I think the apprehension also made me unnerved. So I came across as very gruff. Mm, I do kind of yeah. come across as very abrupt and gruff. And um, I think that that kind of triggered me too. Yeah. It made me tense and worried and nervous. So I didn't use my good skills, my good communication skills that I've learned now in sobriety. What's it like now? How do you feel now? Um... Definitely more calm in the house. I feel like we have a lot more laughter and joy and silliness. And I know this sounds so terrible, but some of our favorite things to do are like kind of gossipy kind of stuff. And I feel like I don't have to be worried that, again, that you're not going to use it against me. Like later on that night, if I'm gossiping about a coworker, you're not going to be like, God, you're such a bitch. You just talked about all your friends. You know, because me and my friend from college used to say, well, if you can't talk about your friends, who can you talk about? Like, that was our way of, well, we can be gossipy. So I feel like you are my friend and I can gossip and share, but I'm not going to come across 10 beers in like I'm just a nag and I talk about people behind their back. And you're not going to get... Those sort of things, because you, you're understanding that I'm only talking about it to get it off my chest, so then I'm not burdened with it. You're not going to get get it thrown back up in your face later. Right. Which is such a common reaction in an alcoholic relationship. Mm-hmm. You can fight in me and then, well, I'll, I'll put that in the old storage bank and bring it out right. to wound you with it later. Yeah. Or, you know, I feel like I can come to you with finances and we can commiserate together instead of you going and sulking about it and say, it's fine. It's going to be fine. I'll figure it all out. 
you yeah. know, and then I'm worried and then I go and buy something, you know, and you're like, why are you spending this money? We've got all these finances. Well, you didn't share with me the plan. Now we are open yeah. and we know what to do and what not to do. And, you know, expenses when you have four kids and as we get older, you're just going to have to deal with it and it sucks. But we're, it's sucking, we're sucking together in the misery of the finances instead of just you taking it all on because you didn't want to upset me and then I'm, don't know what to, to do because I don't know the plan or, yeah you know, and I often, I very rarely nowadays say, go ask your dad. I'll say, well, I think this, let or let's go talk to your dad and see if he's got anything going on that's going to conflict with this thing that you want to do. So we're more... Of partnership and parenting. Yeah. Unless you just don't want to make one of those. But there are times that I'm like, shit, I don't want to answer this. Yeah. I don't want to answer this. This sounds like a big deal. Yeah. But it is funny. Like you I find out. I say no so bad, but I know that maybe I should be more considerate. But, but during your drinking days, there was a situation with our oldest that I was like, this was totally my issue. And you were like, I just was afraid there was going to be drinking involved since there were older people there were high schoolers at this middle school party. And I was like, I, I wasn't thinking of alcohol. I was thinking of something else. So as like we've come. What, sex? Drugs? No, what do you I, mean? Um, I don't, it's a long story. Okay. But you and I just talked about different things with her when we figured out what was oh, going yeah. on. And I was like, I, 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 you know, so now I feel like we're more on the same page. Yes, we're equally confused we're equ and frustrated and don't know what we're doing. And we're equally like, make good choices. And yeah, we, we say don't that have a to lot. say, we, they don't, they know. We are um, the therapist, as they call us, and we over, over communicated the alcohol and porn and premarital sex sort of stuff. Um, or sex you too early. You can't over-communicate that stuff. <laughs> so we're just like, you know, do the make good choices. But there It is nice. I think this, you know, I asked you, how do you feel about things now? And you've gone, this is really interesting. You've gone to your current pain point. And your current pain point is communicating with our children as they grow and, as you said a minute ago, launch into adulthood. That's so refreshing. That's a great place for your pain point to be. It is painful. There's no avoiding it. But it's so refreshing that that's the pain point instead of, all this alcoholic yeah. relationship stuff. I honestly can't imagine what life would have been like with an alcoholic as we were trying to make college decisions and moving decisions and moving into a dorm for the first time. Or I just mean, witness those decisions <laughs> being made because we're we not often being made. The ones so making them. We're not, we're being, not being made, made. Yeah. and having that argument with like you got to get on the ball and get your paperwork in and or not paperwork but applications now online. I mean. Paperwork. <laughs> paperwork. We're really old. That's funny. <laughs> Submit our paperwork. Our housing applications. The term you were looking for, and I couldn't come up with it either earlier, was double standard. Oh, yes. That's yes. the word. Yes. Right. Oh, that was your favorite one, I would say. Oh, I hated when you would say Because you knew it was true. Mm, maybe. Well, were... no. I didn't think it was true. That was there the problem. Were... Oh, you didn't think it was true. But no. looking back now, do you feel like oh, you yeah. sometimes did live your life with the double standard? Like, Well, I think it goes toward... You know, a lot of the things that, that I used to do, I was doing very selfishly because I was trying to figure something out or control the uncontrollable. And for you, it was manipulative, like we've talked about. I just didn't even grasp that it was manipulative. So sometimes you would say that it was a double standard and I'd be like, I don't even see it. I see it now. I see it now. But I didn't back then. Mm -hmm. 
Alcohol is awesome. It keeps us keeps us from seeing the double standards. It keeps you from seeing double. <laughs> is he triple? Yeah. Sherry, thanks for sharing your honest reactions to a lot of these things. I hope our listeners can relate to the emotions you've expressed and the feelings that you've expressed. And I hope that they feel like they're not alone. I hope so too. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.